research that changes lives. Four simple words inspiring researchers at the University of Leeds to reshape the world. I am Professor Simone Boutenegg. Since arriving at the university in 2020 as Vice-Chancellor, I've been amazed by the passion, creativity and ingenuity of the research community to make a difference. Having the opportunity to exercise choice is really you know, key to palliative care and that individualised care that supports the person in the last few months of life. We need to learn from the mistakes that we've made and we need to learn from the instances where prevention of atrocities work. I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually forced us to become a little bit more digitally literate, although I do think we still have some room to kind of continue growing. One of my priorities has been to learn more about the sheer range of research carried out by early career researchers at Leeds. They are the new generation of world changers, people working tirelessly with communities and academics around the world on finding solutions to seemingly intractable problems. Over the course of this podcast series, I will be in conversation with those researchers. Join me as our world changers describe new discoveries and approaches that will make the world a better and more equitable place to live. It's about research that changes lives. Welcome to this latest edition of the World Changers podcast. I'm Professor Simone Boutenegg. I'm joined by Dr. Bronwyn Swinnerton, who is Deputy Director of the Centre for Research in Digital Education here at Leeds. Across the globe, there is growing demand for knowledge among potential students that cannot be met by traditional brick-and-mortar universities. The answer lies in providing digital education. Leeds has plans to become a university without walls, enabling people anywhere in the world to study with us online. But students' access to computer hardware or stable Wi-Fi varies widely, and they will want to learn through examples and experiences that are culturally relevant. Some students will be more competent with digital technologies than others. So how can we, as the university community, make sure that digital education is fair and engaging for all and does not exacerbate old inequalities and put up new barriers? Bronwyn, there's a lot to talk about, and thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to the conversation. So let me start by asking you how you became interested in digital education. Yeah, good question. I've been involved in educational research for many years. And then at one point I left the university and went to work in a private company developing online and blended training resources. And I really enjoyed that. And it gave me an idea of the sort of enabling of digital and how you could change the way you train people. And I was fascinated by how you could then use this in a higher education institution. So I came back to the university and I was involved in developing online and blended resources within the School of Education. And at the end of that project, I then had the opportunity to come back into research and research digital education. Great. And, and for people who have never been to the University of Leeds, could you describe how digital technology at the moment is at the heart of modern learning, even um, in face-to-face -face lectures or seminars? Because I think there's lots of misunderstanding about that. I think uh, the first thing I'd say is it, it clearly enables online and distance learning. We have an increasing number of courses at the university that means that people can learn with us without ever setting foot on campus. But I think we mustn't then forget that actually for campus students, 
digital technology is at the heart of their experience in lots of different ways. First of all, the virtual learning environment hosts all their teaching resources. These can be in all sorts of formats, audio, video, podcasts, screencasts, and it's available anytime from anywhere. And they can go back to it at any time. We also encourage students to very much use external digital resources. I know in medicine, they use a lot of YouTube. And we also encourage people to get involved in digital communities on Facebook and on Twitter. You can use digital to have a flipped learning approach where you might do the uh, lecture digitally and then people come onto campus to have a face-to-face seminar. In the lecture theatres, you'll use lots of technology. We use clickers, we use Top Hat where students can vote. You might be able to get the students to share their screen at the front to show how they've answered a question. You could use Padlet to get involved in comments or discussion forums to all discuss with each other. There's some rooms that have been redesigned as collaborative lecture theatres where you can sit in groups and work together. Lots of the assessment and feedback is digital first. We use Turnitin and then me as an educator, I do all my marking online. But I think the thing to say about this is that the use of digital technologies It's got several purposes. It's to provide flexibility. You can access these materials from anywhere, anytime. You can go back to them. But it's really to encourage active learning on the part of the student, collaborative ways of learning, co-production of knowledge. We no longer think of students as being blank slates. We want them to become independent learners. And by using digital, they can then become lifelong learners. Yeah, thank you. And you can talk a little bit about the evidence behind particularly active learning, because I think digital technology just helps the active learning process. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, sometimes even in in government ministers, that digital equals online. And I think that's not always the case. Uh, Fully online learning is never the only way of learning for students on campus. But I think there's also a misunderstanding of what digital can do. And I think for us at the University of Leeds, it's, it starts with the interactivity with students working together instead of being the blank slates, like you just said. Digital technology can be incredibly helpful, but it doesn't start with, we have digital technology, it's cheap and easy, and now how are we going to use it? But I think COVID somehow made that, that image of digital yeah, a little bit like that. So, so can you talk a little bit about the evidence behind the active interaction, the, the active learning compared to students just being the blank slates and knowledge being imparted on them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that people think that digital technology is a way of replacing people or doing things cheaply, as you said, and it's not. There's a pedagogical ideology behind this that says when learners can work together and can construct knowledge based on what they already know and they can do this together they're much more likely to have better outcomes and there's been various different research projects that have looked at the evidence as to whether active learning and whether having digitally enabled classrooms has a positive impact on learning outcomes and there are many different research projects that have found that yeah i think there there's a huge number at the moment and basically, it's pretty clear that interactive learning is just a more effective way of learning. And then there are different ways of doing it. And I think that's sort of your research activity, isn't it? Looking at how digital can be one form of active learning or digitally enabled can be one form of active learning. And I think that 
probably neatly gets us to the next question I wanted to ask you. The groups who've traditionally been underserved by higher education, students from different backgrounds, maybe first in family or, or black or minority ethnic students, how does interactive learning help them and how can digital innovation play a role in that? Digital can play a huge role in trying to serve minority groups, if you want to call them that. When I went to university, it was just seen as traditional that you went, you did your three-year course, I got a grant, I didn't have to work. But nowadays, there's such a wide, diverse cohort that goes to university. They have all sorts of different lifestyles that mean they can't necessarily come to campus. They can't necessarily come to campus all day, every day, because they've got jobs. They might work part-time, they might work full-time, they might have children to care for, they might have sick parents, etc. And I think digital can make that so much more flexible. And it means that people can work together outside of the traditional during the day at campus. There's all sorts of different ways in which people can learn outside of campus when they use digital resources. But I also think that you can use that whole world of information that you get through a computer in order to search for the sorts of resources that you identify with, that you want to learn about, that are your culture and your context, not just the limited maybe that I got as a face-to-face -face student when I went to university. Yeah. No, I think that's really clear and it's very exciting, actually. So can you talk a little bit about what we learned at the University of Leeds when we had to go rapidly, fully online at the beginning of the pandemic and what worked, what do we want to keep and what worked maybe to some degree, but we don't want to keep given that we can go back to mostly face-to-face -face and have students back on our campuses and of course they want to see each other when they came to Leeds to be with each other. So can you talk a little bit about what we learned from the pandemic? It was a big change for everybody. It happened almost overnight. And I think the phrase that people used was the pivot to online. But I think one thing that we should be very proud of at Leeds is that I think we fared better than many institutions because our digital transformation was probably quite ahead of a lot of places. We also have got the digital education service that was very quickly able to develop resources to help people. We've also got lots of staff who've got skills and knowledge in this area because of our activities in the digital world prior to the pandemic. But for many staff, it was really difficult. And for many students, it was really difficult. Staff don't know how to teach online. And it's not about using the tech necessarily. It's about the pedagogy of teaching online. It's different. And students don't know how to learn online. Many of them still don't like to switch their camera on because they don't like to show their environment or they just don't like to see their own face all day. It can be quite unnerving for people. But there are many issues related to the digital divide as well. We found this from the JISC survey. We found out that 13% of students said they didn't have a suitable device, but that wasn't just students. 20% of staff said the same. 15% of students and 13% of staff said they didn't have a safe private area to work. And there are anecdotal evidence of staff teaching in bedrooms or using an ironing board for a desk. It's just not an ideal way to be teaching and learning. And then I think it was two thirds of students and just over half of staff said they had poor Wi-Fi connection. There were also some positives. I think students really liked the flexibility. They liked that almost everything was recorded, not just lectures. They now want blended. They've said that they don't want to go back to fully online, but they do want blended. They want the flexibility of being able to use online when it suits and not when it doesn't. 
So simple things like you can go to the library, take a journal off the shelf and you can read it, or you can do it from home by looking at it as an e-resource. That's the sort of flexibility that students want. And these are the sorts of things we need to think about what was positive, what wasn't, but how do we then still try to tackle the digital divides so that we're not excluding anybody? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's so important what you're saying. And let's go to something else that you're very heavily involved in, an online course with students around the world, which clearly was developed as an online course instead of everything we were just talking about, the overnight pivot. Because clearly what we did then wasn't developed to be delivered online, hence the ironing boards and all kinds of other things. That <laughs> if you start a course from scratch that you know will be fully online, it's very different. So can, can you tell me a little bit about the course that you've designed and developed and how that's, how that's going, how it's working? Yeah. So in the school of education, we have a, a master's in digital education. It's been around for a long time. I can't take the credit for starting it, but it's um, changed over the years. It's a two year part-time fully online, fully distance course, and it's aimed at working professionals this year, just for example, this year, the students come from South Korea, Singapore, Canada, Egypt, the UAE, India, China, as well as across the UK. And they all come together in synchronous sessions and share their experiences. But the vast majority of them never, ever set foot on campus. We encourage them to come to graduation and some do, but many never come at all. It's based on a flipped learning approach where all the materials are provided at least a week beforehand on the VLA. Then we have um, a weekly seminar, but we have two. So we have one at lunchtime, one in the evening because it's different time zones. And we take a very active learning and dialogic learning approach. The students access the materials beforehand. We give them prompts of what sort of things we're going to talk about in the sessions and they keep notes in order to get involved in the discussion. And then they come to the seminar. There's a mix of activities, discussions, group work. Then we give them a post-seminar activity. And one of the assignments is a really, really great one. It's a collaborative group assignment. They go into groups of three and they're doing that at the moment. And part of the challenge is to use digital tools to collaborate across distance and across time. And I think what this course tells me is this is how a course can be incredibly successful when it's been planned beforehand and all the people who come on the course know that it's going to be online. And if we didn't offer this, these students wouldn't be able to come to Leeds because they cannot travel here and they don't live here. Yeah, so that brings me to a question that I'm dying to ask you. There's demand for education across the world, and it's vast. There's so many places uh, in the UK also where the needs can't be met by existing bricks and mortar universities. But of course, especially in the global south, that is a major problem, and not just in a country like India, but it's really a global issue. How do you teach the world's population? I, I suspect you agree with me that the solution almost by necessity has to be in, in online degree programs and online delivery of education. Can you, can you talk, talk me through that? Yeah, I totally agree. We just don't have, the world doesn't have the resources to build the hundreds of universities that would be required in order to meet that demand. We can't, if you just take Leeds as an example, we can't keep expanding physically. And nor would we particularly want to. So we have to do this in an online way, because even if you did expand Leeds University, for example, an awful lot of the students that you want to attract can't travel and can't come and live here. 
So the only solution, yes, is totally is online learning. Yeah, and there's such a potential, not just in the scale of what we can do online, but I think also in the quality with all the innovation and the technology that's so rapidly expanding and changing. These experiences become more and more actually augmented compared to what you can do in a regular classroom. So you've been involved, I know, in research with the University of Cape Town about the development of digital education. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What did you find in that project? So this was a collaboration between the University of Leeds and the University of Cape Town. And the project was called the Unbundled University. And so that was looking at how digital technology and marketization within higher education was leading to the unbundling of teaching and learning resources. So that was things like MOOCs on future learning on Coursera, looking at micro-credentials. And a lot of institutions were doing that in partnership with private companies, which is where the um, marketization comes in. And we found that not all universities could participate in this because private companies only wanted really to partner with the highly ranked prestigious universities. So places like Leeds, places like Cape Town. But what we also found was that for those institutions that even did partner and could develop online offerings, a lot of the students couldn't take advantage of it. So one of the issues in South Africa is it's the most unequal country in the world. So it's not necessarily the poorest, it's the most unequal. And so you can provide online courses, but certain groups of students just can't access them because they don't have a device. They probably went to a school where there were no computers, so they don't have any level of digital literacy. Data is the most expensive across the whole of um, Africa in South Africa. And so really what it was doing was providing additional good quality provision to those students who already had provision. So it was increasing inequalities. And what lessons can we learn from that project here in Leeds? Because I'm sure there, there are lessons also for us in the global north. Yeah, I think there's a number of lessons. I think one of the things we really do have to think about is the digital divide. We know we have one at Leeds as well as all other universities in the UK. It's not just a global science problem. So that when we introduce digital technology, we have to think, well, why are we doing this? What's the pedagogical reason for this? And who might we be excluding? So we need to start thinking about whenever we design digital education, it needs to be more accessible. We need to make sure that it's, we don't have lots and lots of videos. We can make sure that people can download things rather than having to work online, making things accessible through subtitles, those sorts of things. And for campus students, we want to use digital technology to enhance. And so we don't want to exclude anybody here either. So we've already started loaning devices improving Wi-Fi in university accommodation, creating more collaborative spaces for students to work together on campus. And they're all fantastic things. We just need to keep doing those. Maybe work with local landlords to improve Wi-Fi in rented accommodation. It's those sorts of things that will really make the digital technology that we use. It will enhance it for everybody, not just for some. I think that's absolutely pivotal because it, it can cross that divide. But if we are not mindful of where that is and what it means, we could actually make it larger. Thank you for listening to this World Changers podcast from the University of Leeds. 
I am Professor Simone Buitendijk and I'm in conversation with Dr. Bronwyn Swinnerton to hear about her research into digital education. So an issue that you haven't talked about yet is digital literacy. I'm sure that somehow enters into this as well. It's not just what we can provide to students, but also their ability to use the technology. So how do we tackle issues of, of less literacy and maybe people who are just not used to using devices? I think one of the things I started thinking about recently was we do an IELTS course for people when they first come to the university to assess their language skills. And if their language skills are not up to scratch, then we help them, we support them to improve those language skills. I think we could do that sort of thing with digital literacy. I think we could try to make sure that everybody has a certain level of digital literacy. We shouldn't assume just because they're young people that they know how to learn online. They might know how to go onto WhatsApp and TikTok, which I don't know how to do, <laughs> but it's, it's that assumption that young people are digital natives and all the evidence suggests that's just not the case at all. So we shouldn't assume that people have those literacy skills and we should provide them. We should provide training and support in them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a world of possibility there. And then what about the teachers? Because I think we're often also easily assuming that especially younger teachers, but even older teachers will be able to use whenever is available to them. How do we ensure that they know how to use the digital technology to the best of their ability? Again, I think it's about training and support. It's about encouraging us all to help each other. When the pandemic first hit, one of the things we did in the School of Education was set up a Teams channel that was called online teaching and people just posed questions all the time. Sometimes it was about technical things, but a lot of it was, how do you think I could arrange this? How, what sort of approach might I use when I'm trying to do this sort of activity? And it was really, really useful. So we developed this community of practice. And I think that's what we need to do across the university. We already do it, but we need to keep doing it. Yeah. And I think you've already answered the question in bits and pieces, but let me ask you again, what does the best of both worlds look like for students who are actually on campus? Because one thing we learned in the pandemic, all of us everywhere, is that people want to be together, maybe not all the time, maybe not in the same ways they did before the pandemic, every hour of their working week. But for students who are in Leeds, they want to meet up, they want to see each other. Um, so how do we provide them with the, the pedagogically best experience, the evidence-based learning and teaching, while we're also enabling them to meet? What does the best of both worlds look like? I think it's about deciding through, again, training and support, teaching all our staff to understand what can be done digitally, what is best done digitally, and what is best done face-to-face, -face, how you can use digital technology to enhance those face-to-face -face experiences. I think for a student now coming to Leeds, they would expect it to be blended. And they should, by the time they leave, have all those digital skills ready to take into the workplace. Because in the workplace, it's a blended approach. Yep. No, I think that's so important with you saying that we need to prepare them for a workplace where nothing is only face-to-face -face and paper-based and it's very quickly changing in all kinds of directions. And for our students to be completely able to not just follow, but also lead on that, that, that would be such an asset for them. 
Yes, that leads me to neatly, I think, to the last question. As a world changer, as an essayist in our series, how optimistic are you that in the next decade, the University of Leeds and, of course, other universities too, can begin to offer digital courses so that people everywhere, anywhere in the world can have an opportunity to participate in higher education? Well, I've always been very proud of being first a student and then a member of staff at Leeds. And I really am proud of their digital offering because I think it's so far ahead of lots of other places. But one thing that the pandemic has done is bring to the surface those issues of digital inequality. And it gives me hope that now that we can see it, we can do something about it. I think there's a long way to go until everybody can have equal access to online courses and be able to use them in equally effective ways. But we need to keep researching, disseminating our research, and using digital technology to help solve these problems where we can. Yeah, uh, and you'd so underscore my feeling that the university strategy, of course, is what we start with, but using all the technology and the innovation to, yeah, to implement that even more forcefully and with that global outlook is what it's all about. And I agree with you, I think the digital technologies and the online opportunities they can really help us reach reach out to partners across the world, including in the in the global south. So thank you so much, Bronwyn, for for being at the University of Leeds and for doing the amazing work you're doing. And last but not least, of course, for writing your essay and for this interview today. It's been really wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed writing the essay and being part of the whole process. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the University of Leeds. To find out more about the work of our early career researchers and to read essays written by World Changer researchers, please go to the World Changers page on the university website. Details can be found in the information that accompanies this podcast.